The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott, and welcome to The Exchange, everyone. I'm Kelly Evans, and it's another dramatic day on Wall Street. As the major indexes are sinking after their best day since December of 2018, at the lows, the Dow is down 1,218 points. We're just off that level right now. Uh, There's the 10-year Treasury yield uh, holding in at 85 basis points. This after more confusion and mixed messages from Washington on whether coronavirus relief is coming. Secretary Mnuchin testifying on Capitol Hill with lots of ideas but no concrete plans. Just now, the World Health Organization officially declared the coronavirus a pandemic. And Dr. Anthony Fauci of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases just a short while ago reiterating that the coronavirus is likely 10 times more lethal than the flu. Markets certainly didn't like the sound of that. Let's get to Bob Bassani for a look at the latest action and where we stand now. Bob? And Kelly, we are just off the lows for the day. Uh, The important thing here is that we were in a, a modest little rally. I say modest until about 1230. And that's when the headlines came out about the WHO declaring a global pandemic. Of course, that's not a surprise to everyone, but it took a little bit of air out of the modest rally that we're seeing. And as you can see here, we're sitting near the lows for the day. I want to highlight a couple of sectors here. Essentially, this is a 4% takedown, the whole market. We keep highlighting overall, it's not individual sectors. It's just coming down here. So if you look at industrials, energy, consumer staples, financials, tech, all right across the board. See this down 4%. This is what we say about that global takedown. I want to highlight particularly Boeing down 13% today. They're doing a drawdown of their $13.8 billion uh, uh, loan, existing loan there uh, as of Friday. That's a source there. And you see we're sitting at the lows of the day for Boeing. Elsewhere, if you look at interest rate sensitive groups that have done much better this month, they're down a little worse than the market. I think that's curious because they have outperformed REITs and utilities. But when you get a drawdown of the overall market, this suggests to me that investors are simply lightening up on positions right across the board almost indiscriminately when you even get rid of some of the stocks that have done better or outperformed uh, on a relative basis. That's a sign of lightening up. Guys, back to you. All right, Bob, thank you very much. Bob Bassani down at the NYSE. Let's get the very latest on the big story moving the markets today. The World Health Organization declaring the coronavirus a pandemic. Meg Terrell is here with all of those details and so much more of the action we've seen today. That's right. A lot of people would say this was a very delayed declaration. Some public health experts were calling for this to be made weeks ago. The World Health Organization saying today that it is not just the concerning level of spread and severity of this disease, but also some inaction that it's seeing uh, from governments to not act quickly enough um, to combat the spread. I I don't know if we have sound from the World Health Organization. If we do, uh, we'll play it now. WHO has been assessing this outbreak around the clock, and we're deeply concerned both by the alarming levels of spread and severity and by the alarming levels of inaction. We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Now, part of the reason they hadn't made this declaration earlier was they were worried about it sparking panic. Now they are saying 
you guys need to be doing more around the world to be stopping the spread. We don't have a vaccine, we have no immunity, and we have no approved treatments. So the only thing we can do is to try to slow the spread. And I want to make sure everybody just heard what Dr. Scott Gottlieb told you guys on Halftime Report. He similarly said there needs to be more urgency by municipalities to be proactive, which means basically shutting down parts of the economy, encouraging people to stay home, because he said at any given point, the spread is more than you even realize that it is. He literally made an estimate that it's 10 times as many cases, perhaps even more than that, than we've currently detected in the U.S. And right now, the current case count is about... A little more than a thousand. Okay, so at least 10 times that. You can imagine probably about 10 times the communities as well. His point is, look, there is a there's economic pain for the municipalities. We've been covering this for weeks. Uh, that don't want to have to take this step. They need the, perhaps the federal government to signal... There will be relief for them or relief for those businesses coming, and that's why we're all waiting on Washington for, for an announcement like that. Right. The actual actions in terms of closing things down will be taken at the local and state level, but the federal response is needed, he is saying, in order to shore up those economies so that they feel confident in making those moves that are going to hurt their local economies. Nobody wants to do that. Governor Cuomo yesterday, and even talking about a one-square-mile radius in New Rochelle, apologizing for the disruption to the businesses, to the economy, to daily life there. And that is a very tiny little spot. We're talking about communities. Yeah, and you can argue that he should have done it sooner, uh, even a, a, as drastic a step as it is. All right, Meg, we appreciate it. Thanks, Meg Terrell there. Uh, check on these markets. We're down at session lows with the Dow dropping 1,260 points. That's a 5% decline. The Dow is the worst performer today because of Boeing's weakness in particular. But look at the other major averages. It's not worse by that much. The S&P is down 4.6%. The Nasdaq is down 4.3%. The Russell Small Caps down more than 5%. So what should investors do to protect themselves here? For more, let me bring in Douglas Boneparth. He's founder of Bonafide Wealth and a member of CNBC's Financial Advisor Council. Chris Zaccarelli is Chief Investment Officer at the Independent Advisor Alliance. And CNBC Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli is here. And Mike, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Any inclination as to why we've seen this weakness uh, just in the last hour or so? Um, not specifically, Kelly. Honestly, I think it's the it's the wear and tear. We had a very decent rally yesterday, but that only recouped a little more than half of Monday's decline. So the, the market has been in this defensive mode of not really wanting to extrapolate any one day's action. I do think that uh, one slightly surprising thing is that Treasury bond yields have actually been lifting a little bit today. That typically has been consistent with a stock market that was able to find its footing. However, corporate bonds are not acting well. So I, th- I do think there are these kind of uh, lower level credit concerns that are well uh, related to the economic slowdown story, but not really at the center of it. So that seems to be the wear and tear. Just in terms of levels, you did mention the Dow underperforming. The S&P 500 is basically just a few points above the lows from Monday. So that has been the low uh, for this move. It seems as if uh, we need a little bit of a, of a stress test of those levels. Okay. And as Mike mentioned, the 10-year yield around about 0.8%. We have some breaking news on that right now. It was up for auction top of the hour. Rick Santelli with the results. Rick? Well, we all know yesterday's three-year wasn't very good, and today we had nine-year, 11-month notes, really 10-year notes, but the first primary auction was last month. We're adding to that issue. $24 billion. The yield came in at 0.849, a whisker under 0.85%. So obviously less than 1%, the lowest auction of 10-year notes, of course, ever. I gave the grade a Charlie minus, C minus, and I'll tell you why. It actually didn't price bad. The when issue market was all over the place as yields move higher. Mike was right. I pointed it out 
an hour and a half ago. Tens and thirties are actually higher in yield than they settled yesterday. But demand was still light. 2.36 bid to cover the lightest since May of last year. Uh, 61 on indirects was slightly above average. 9.2 on directs, the weakest since March of last year. Dealers take 29.8%, the most since August of last year. So a C-minus fits. Could be a lot worse. Many are going to continue to buy, but just not necessarily in the auction process. Kelly, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you. Rick Santelli, let me turn to Chris Zaccarelli now. Uh, Chris, where you say, look, the most likely outcomes from coronavirus and all of this self-quarantine behavior are either a demand shock with some bounce back before the election or a recession. Um, How would you update those likelihoods today? Well, I think it's really hard to tell right now. You just can't tell how far things are going to spread with the coronavirus. Clearly, if we have a wide outbreak across the country, it takes very many months to work through. Then we're talking about a really severe demand shock. And if it ends up being the case that we can't get our arms around this public health uh, crisis, then it's, it's going to be widespread and potentially that will knock us into recession. However, we are starting from a pretty strong point. Even if you look back to last Friday, which no one really cared about because the positive economic news was really overshadowed by what's going to be happening going forward. You can look at the GDP now forecast from, from the uh, Atlanta Fed. They were saying we're at 3.1%. Now, we're not expecting 3.1% GDP in the first quarter by any means. I'm sure it'll be something below 2%. But as long as we're starting from a stronger point, it's possible that a strong shock like this won't be enough to knock us off our game and and head us into recession. Let me ask you that about the markets with all that going on. You've got Dave Costin of Goldman out there talking about a uh, $2,400 price target on the S&P 500. Uh, Jim Cramer this morning was talking about a retest of the 2018 lows of this market, which are well below, about 10 percent still below where we are. Uh, Is that feasible given despite the economic strength we're talking about, just the market action that we've had with this dramatic plunge so far? Well, anything's possible, especially when you're dealing with something with this much uncertainty. You're really seeing a lot of the pricing already happening. So if we were to have a recession, you're probably already two-thirds of the way there in terms of pricing that into the market at this point. So it really remains to be seen, you know, as far as what we're telling investors, how to prepare for this. At this point, you really just need to ride through the volatility. Like I said, either things will bounce back quickly or it'll take a little bit longer. But with so much already priced in, you really don't want to panic right now. You want to stay calm and you want to let the market do what it does. Hopefully, you've had the right asset allocation, and that's somewhat insulated you from all of these moves. But this is one of those black swan events which come out of left field. They cause a lot of damage, and and no one could have predicted that this would be the year that this would happen. And Doug, you also, of course, specialize in helping people um, just have a plan generally, but also in in situations like these, figuring out if if it's appropriate for them, right? Risk off is a good time to find out what everyone's risk appetite really is. What's it been like lately in terms of any kind of panic down 20%? And what do you think it'd it'd look like if we get down 30% from the highs? So I think we'll see a lot more phone calls at three handles and 30% down, if not more. But I can't think of a better time than right now to go back and reassess all the planning, hopefully, that you've done, specifically for pre-retirees and retirees who are thinking, oh, my God, here we go again. And this is where we can look to those retirement plans and start to actually see what a 20, 30 or even more percent correction is going to do for trying to live on your assets. How much does the plunge in bond yields make it harder uh, for people to figure out, you know, yes, I realize the price is up and that should you know, help you on a total return basis. But most people plan on the income aspect of that and are worried about what that income stream is going to look like going forward. Right. In a classic setting, if you're using bonds to create or generate that income that you're going to live on, watching yields fall is going to make you nervous. But there's a flip side to that as well, and that you now have higher priced bonds 
firms and may be able to take advantage. Now, this is something where you really need to do uh, your due diligence in terms of what your appetite is for risk and being even more risk on given this uncertainty. And you need to be very careful and methodically plan out when to take these types of opportunities. So in a way, trading yield for future appreciation is in play, but this is something that, again, needs to be well thought out before yeah. selling uh, safer, less risky assets. All right, Mike, just in a word before we go, since we did take a leg down around the top of the hour, do you think it has anything to do with Bernie Sanders reportedly staying in the race and not dropping out? I hesitate to attribute it to that. It came right around the same time as the WHO said that this is a global pandemic. Not that that came as a surprise uh, to anybody, but right now, I honestly think it's just uh, it's just follow-through selling pressure. Very, very oversold. I think the next 5% is the hardest call from here. If you're a very long-term investor, in a weird way, being down 20% off a high makes it easier to decide whether you want to take that chance. Yeah, as you said, the ne- I, I like that the next 5% is the hardest call. Um, it, it, Doug, finally, you mentioned that pre-retirement, this is the trickiest kind of uh, time of life. If you're 55 years old, if you're would you change anything? I mean, what, what do you recommend that people do right now? And by the way, what about real estate? Because yeah. now everyone's saying we've got mortgage rates plunging and I feel like it's not safe to be in fixed income or cash. And so if I don't want to get more into the stock market, do I have to get into something like that? Yeah, no, no, don't be quick to act here. Be quick to check those plans, have those conversations get a realistic view of what best and worst case scenarios looks like for your particular situation. Being in control is the best medicine right now, and that's going to come through conversations and hard thinking about where you are and where you need to be. All right, guys, thank you all today. Doug Boneparth, Chris Zaccarelli, Mike Santoli, we really appreciate it. I mentioned that sharp drop in mortgage rates, and it does have borrowers rushing to refinance. In fact, there were some staggering new numbers out this morning. Diana Olick joins us from Washington with the details. Diana? Yeah, Kelly, total total mortgage application volume was up over 55 percent last week compared with the previous week, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association's seasonally adjusted index. Refinance applications drove the demand, spiking a whopping 79 percent for the week, and they were 479 percent higher compared with the same week one year ago. Refinances made up 76.5 percent of all applications, up from 66 percent the week before, and it's all because the average rate on the 30-year fixed fell to 3.47 percent from 3. 0.57%. That's the lowest since December 2012. But other reads on rates, like ones from Freddie Mac, had that rate at a record low. And that, of course, made news last week, and clearly homeowners heard it. Mortgage applications to purchase a home increased just 6% for the week and were 12% higher annually. Potential home buyers are weighing these very low interest rates against their concerns over the coronavirus's effect on the overall economy. And, of course, on their jobs. Kelly? One question, Diana, that keeps coming up, and I wonder if there's a rule of thumb for people who say, how do I know if it's worth it for me to refinance? And does that math change now that we've gotten to such low levels? Nope. 75. That's what I say. 75 basis points is what all the mortgage gurus tell me is what makes it worth it. If you can lower your interest rates by at least 75 basis points and you still have 20 percent equity in your home, then you should do very well. Anything less than that, you're probably going to pay more in the fees and everything involved in refinancing. Okay, everyone uh, calling up and having this conversation now. We'll see if the system can handle the number of refis, too, that we might get. Diana, thanks. Diana Olick in Washington. Washington is where all of the action is today. We're closely looking for any movement on the various stimulus proposals that are being floated and also to see what comes of those bank executives being called to the White House. Elon Moyes on Capitol Hill for us with the very latest on any stimulus efforts. Wilfred Frost is also watching uh, to here to tell us what we can expect from the meeting with the bank executives, which should take place around two hours from now. Elon, let's start with you. The big, big trillion dollar question today is where do things stand? 
Well, Kelly, the short answer is we are not close to a stimulus package here on Capitol Hill. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin acknowledged as much earlier today when he was testifying on the Hill, saying that any type of broad economic stimulus, including a payroll tax cut, would have to come as a sort of phase two in a federal response. And then the top Republican on the Senate Finance Committee, Chuck Grassley, also tried to tamp down expectations. So let's see uh, down the road a week, two weeks, three weeks, uh, whenever we get a feeling that we got to do something more dramatic, uh, then that'd be very much on the table. So instead, Kelly, House Democrats are focused on introducing a targeted bill aimed at workers who are impacted by the outbreak. We're expecting that bill to drop later this afternoon. Back to you. It, it, it's amazing to watch the Newswire, Elon, on a day like this. You know, you've got on the one hand reports that the cruise line industry might want the White House to bar people over 70 from boarding a ship without a doctor's note. That's from USA Today. Then you've got, you know, from the uh, Washington Post here that the administration might you know, work on plans to delay the April 15th tax deadline for individual taxpayers and small businesses because of the virus. So there's a ton of fast moving uh, pieces and elements that sound like they could do a lot uh, to help cushion the blow of coronavirus, but only if we get moving pretty quickly here. Well, what the administration, I think Congress as well, is trying to do is see what levers they can pull immediately. Mnuchin did confirm that he's going to be recommending to the White House that that they extend the tax filing deadline for certain uh, individuals and for certain businesses. He said that could be as much as a $200 billion, of course, short-term stimulus to the economy. So they're looking at what they can do right now because they know that the uh, gears of politics take a long time to move here in Washington and getting something big done could take a while. They don't want to wait uh, for that to happen before they start providing relief to workers. Yeah, or at least signaling it's on the way. All right, Elon, we appreciate it. Thanks. Elon Moyes on Cap Hill. Let's flip over to Wilfred, uh, who's watching the White House, Wilf, and this meeting of bank executives. Very different backdrop from anything uh, like we saw during the financial crisis. What are the topics expected for today? Yeah, so uh, as you said, a different backdrop, but nonetheless uh, a bit of a financial crisis feel to it, given that top executives from most of the nation's biggest financials will attend uh, a meeting at the White House hosted by the president 3 p.m. Eastern time today. Vice President and Treasury Secretary will also be present. In attendance from the bank side will be the CEOs of Bank of America, Citi, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, U.S. Bancorp, Truist, Blackstone, Citadel. And for J.P. Morgan will be the president and COO, Gordon Smith, in place, of course, of Jamie Dimon, who is still recovering. Uh, the focus, I understand, will be on lending to small and medium-sized companies. On which front, the most obvious action would be for the government to ask regulators to reduce the amount of capital banks have to have to hold against those loans in return for the banks agreeing to extend loans to clients feeling pressure from the virus. We can also expect the topic of the functioning of markets and levels of liquidity to be discussed. CEOs might be asked if there are any tweaks in regulation in that area that could help enhance liquidity in the short term. Either way, Kelly, we're not expecting anywhere near the level of widespread action seen by the government in Italy, for example, where all interest payments have been suspended. That said, it's rare that we see this level of financial CEO together in one place and the ability for them to try and calm wider market fears, including about their own share prices, is significant. And we'll certainly want to listen out to uh, any comments on those uh, lines later today. Kelly? All right, Wilf, thank you. And we'll check back in with you soon. Wilfred Frost, we really appreciate it. So as we continue to monitor what kind of response is needed from the White House and Congress to stabilize the economy and calm these markets, joining me now is Tony Fratto. He's former White House press secretary under President George W. Bush. 
here with me on set. Welcome to you, sir. And Austin Goolsbee joins us as well. He's chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors under President Obama. So a, a good uh, diversification of opinion, if I can call it that, gentlemen. And it, it is a pleasure to have you both here. Tony, it's a pretty big deal now, this coronavirus. You could argue in the early days, you know, we were all watching the China, we were watching other countries, should have done more quicker here in the U.S., yeah. arguably, to contain it. What do we do now? Yeah, I think part of it, what the administration is doing, trying to reach out to people, like the CEO meeting, is a good idea. They have a lot of information to share. They look at the global economy. They could talk about what their small businesses and their customers are doing. Are they dipping into savings? Do they have, uh, is their credit impaired? So they have that kind of information, and they could just impress upon the administration the importance of quick action right now, which I think, you know, things have been slow and the markets are, are hoping that they get coordinated and do things more quickly. And there's no reason why this couldn't be multifaceted. So Larry Kudlow last night, I believe, suggested that you could do something like the emergency loans for small and medium-sized businesses without necessarily needing to move that through Congress. Now, yeah. I don't know exactly the, the mechanics of this, but there are ways you could at least take some first steps while working on a bigger package. Yeah, right? I think that's right. And look, I mean, I think there are, a lot of people are trying to spend time trying to figure out what's the perfect answer. Right. And that they're, so they're, they're talking about or, we should do this or that, and they should be talking about and. Right. All of the things they should do. And I think that's where this is going to end up. You just hope that they could do it quickly. I think that's what's really concerning markets right now is that, yes, the, that pandemic announcement. I think the word that this may be coming in phases, mm -hmm. I think, is disappointing markets today, that there isn't going to get something done very quickly this week. Right. Austin, I mean, how do we take what is so far a kind of dribble of different kinds of announcements? I don't know if these are if they're trying to float them with the public. Again, I don't know why not just move. And, and to Congress, I understand that, you know, I have emails from Senate Democrats. Well, we want these items. We're not really on board with the payroll tax. cut. OK, well, fine. I mean, can we can we agree to three out of five at least and kind of get this thing going? Look, maybe, but I mean, when, when you got the president proposing relief to oil and gas companies uh, or saying things that public health officials are, are kind of in a panic about, not wanting the president to tell people that it's safe to go back to work if they have the virus, not announcing that we only have 14 cases and pretty soon that's going to go to zero. I, I think the White House has lost all sense of let's call it message discipline. And if you lose message discipline and you lose your credibility, this in a crisis is exactly the moment where that's disastrous. And you saw that happen early on in the crisis in China, that people start taking your statements to mean the opposite of what you say because they they don't believe you anymore. Well, so also, I think the yeah, White House... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that I think it, it's interesting because this is an election year. I mean, in any year, yes. you'd feel they're, they'd want to make sure that this doesn't topple the economy, but especially this year, right? That's exactly what I would think. Now, the thing about virus economics, as I say, is it's a little different from normal business cycle economics, which is the best thing you could do for the economy, the best thing you can do for the markets right now is everything in your power to slow the spread of this virus and to give people the feeling that they don't have to be terrified. And making statements that turn out to be false or not getting enough tests out so that people can figure out where it is, right. that's, that's bad for the economy. And extending the tax deadline, look, fine, they should extend the tax deadline, but that's not going to solve the basic problem of the virus, which is everybody is really afraid. And right the interesting now. thing, Tony, is that it was we heard from Scott Gottlieb just last hour 
there's there's this sense now that you might as well just just go all the way. Just why wait? Just and unfortunately, we see it. They're not sending. Uh, they're telling kids stay home on school break. Don't come back to college. They're shutting down sporting events. I mean, why not just say to everybody, you know what? Fine. Better safe than sorry. And don't worry, municipalities, about the toll that this will take because the federal government will be there to backstop you. Yeah, I, I think that's right, too. Like, I mean, it, it, the, the fact that it's happening in, in you know, pieces, piece by piece, is re- it's just really confusing to people. The enemy in any crisis is uncertainty. And there is just enormous uncertainty. Markets are, don't know what, where the federal government's going to be. They're not seeing coordinated action with other governments. They're getting mixed messages on things or people saying, you know, keep your kids, uh, you know, we should we should have social distance, mm-hmm. you know. But then there are other people saying, actually, it's better to keep your kids in school. And, like, there are a lot of people just confused about what's the right thing to do. Sure, I think I'm one, one of them, yeah. Mine, too. My totally kids are, right. you know, been told to, you know, now that, you know, go to spring break, don't come back. Right. Maybe you're going to come back. We're not sure. So things like that that's really, really confusing to people and it's confusing for, for them as economic actors also. So let's go through step by step what we might see bipartisan support for. So paid tax leave for affected workers. Yep. Yes. Both for both of you. Yes. Uh, yes. Pay, yes. Pay, payroll tax. Yeah, but, cut. But the, the one thing about that. Yeah. To go ahead. Austin. Is paid sick leave is critically important so that sick people don't go to work and get other people. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, crucial. it's important also to recognize that that's not stimulus. It's kind of the opposite because fewer people are going to go to work. So yeah. in the immediate term, it means a little less well, economic output. Yeah, I mean, I think but it's stimulus, important. Yeah, You've got it, to do that. Is it, is it government money in the economy that otherwise wouldn't be there? That's, that's kind of how I think about it. Right. And in that case, yes. Yeah. So what about the payroll tax cut, which is just a mechanism for getting an extra $1,000 or so to households? Here's yeah. what I read in the Wall Street Journal, uh, Tony. Republicans are lukewarm to the idea and Democrats are cool to it. What's the problem? I, I think I'm the only like one. Uh, I think I'm one of the few people in favor of it. Yeah. Oh, but not on its own, though. Now, you know, our, our, uh, Austin's former colleague, our friend, uh, you know, Jason Furman, has argued against it uh, for, you know, reasons. He says just send people checks. And we're going to send people checks, but it's kind of hard to choose, you know, who to send checks to. They're going to have a lot of people left out who are saying, well, what about me? Payroll tax holiday is one way of saying we're taking care of everybody. And it's also going to give some underlying support longer term. This isn't a two-month thing. This is going to damage... Uh, growth in the U.S. economy for the rest of the year. So I am, and and you can also dial it back, uh, you know, when the time comes. Yeah, it's flexible. So Austin, we're almost out of time. And again, I I would like to see more urgency just so the Federal Reserve doesn't have to cut to zero next week or in April, which they're pretty much almost go looks like almost certainly going to. What would what would your big pie in the sky idea be, Austin, if you could say here's one thing that would really kind of turn this around and not take us into either a strange place for the Fed to go or a, a much worse U.S. economy? Yeah, well, I mean, first, like I say, I think all focus should be on slowing the virus. And we might have a short-lived recession, but but we shouldn't just do everything to try to prevent short-lived recession if it means accelerate the virus spread. My pie-in-the-sky idea, once you get to the part where you're just about stimulus, is have the federal government rebate the states to cut the sales tax hmm. rather than work on the income side, because I, I am afraid that just handing people money, they're not, they're not leaving their houses right so cut, now, so they're not actually going to spend cut it. The sales tax, cut the state sales tax unilaterally right. to zero and have the gov- federal government pay for that? 
Yes. Interesting. All right. Hadn't heard that one. Love. That's why I love having you guys on. Uh, Austin Goolsby, Tony Fratto, appreciate it, guys. And we'll see what uh, does come out of Washington today and in the days ahead. But let's take a look at the markets right now. We're just off session lows, but deep in the red still. The Dow's down 1,100 points. Uh, the S&P's down 117. That's a 4% drop, similar drop for the NASDAQ. And all 11 S&P sectors are lower today. They're led by real estate, utilities, and energy. And all 11 sectors are also at least 10% down from their recent 52-week highs. Uh, Apache, Norwegian Cruise Lines, Royal Caribbean, and Noble Energy, those are your worst individual performers on the S&P today. 92% of the names of the S&P 500 are more than 10% down from their 52-week highs. Apache down 19%. Meantime, Boeing is the biggest drag on the Dow today. It's down more than 13%, and it's fallen nearly 40% in the past two weeks. Joining me now on the phone is Ken Herbert. He's a managing director at Canaccord Genuity. Ken, Boeing is just sitting on $200 a share. There's concern uh, out there in, about it, with the bonds in particular today, which are selling off. What does the main problem seem to be here? Yeah, hi, good afternoon. So I'd really say there's, there's two things. Clearly, the, the news flow around the airline financial health you know, seems to deteriorate daily, if not hourly. So that's clearly the, the primary headwind right now is you've had a lot of concern around the cash crunch at the airlines and what it's going to do ultimately for Boeing in terms of not only advances, but in terms of orders and everything else. And then second, I would argue there's, you've had some, some cancellations that have come out. So you're starting to see some definite impact on the order book and the demand environment. But then second, certainly just the unknown around the virus and what it's doing, not only to the airlines and traffic, but what it could potentially do to the supply chain and production of aircraft at not only Boeing, but its, uh, but its suppliers. Sure, and I'd call that all kind of like the uh, the kind of macro challenges for Boeing. What about cash flow pressures? It, it does seem like there's some focus on its balance sheet today. Definitely. So keep in mind, you know, Boeing came out of the fourth quarter with almost $10 billion in cash and, had, you know, maybe $80 billion in I would argue I tend to think of the quarterly cash burn rate right now at about $2.5 billion. So I think it's 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 an overreaction, and it's early to be calling about a or, or concern. Oh, we're losing Ken's sound there. Uh, Ken, we we apologize uh, again. When I was asking about the cash. He said people may be a little overly concerned about it, uh, but we'll continue the conversation if we get Ken Herbert back. There's Boeing shares down more than 13 percent today. It's been a rough two weeks for them, uh, both because of what's happened in the markets, of course, and also the cancellations across the travel industry. Let's move on, check in with the social stocks, which are feeling the pressure as well today. Julia Borson is live in Los Angeles with more. Hi, Julia. Kelly, that's right. Social stocks are struggling more than the broader market today. Snap shares are down about 9% today, down more than 20% over the past five trading days. Also suffering from the news yesterday that NBC Universal sold its stake in the company last year. Twitter shares are down about 8% giving up gains earlier in the week after striking a deal with activist investor Elliott Management that keeps CEO Jack Dorsey in place, also suffering on concerns about declines in the ad market, particularly in Japan, which is Twitter's second biggest market in terms of revenue. Pinterest shares at an all-time low today, off about 7.5% on concerns about coronavirus's impact on the advertising market and on the retailers who invest in a presence in Pinterest. Now, Facebook is suffering the least of the group, down about 4%.
Guys, back over to you. Yeah, when it's the least and it's down 4%, you know what kind of day it is. Julia, thanks. Julia Borston. Let's get to Sue Herrera now for a CNBC News update. Hi, Sue. Hello, Kelly. Hello, everyone. Here's what's happening at this hour. Senator Bernie Sanders says he is staying in the presidential race and is looking forward to debating Joe Biden this Sunday. Sanders says a change in the White House remains the top priority. Donald Trump must be defeated, and I will do everything in my power to make that happen. On Sunday night, in the first one-on-one debate of this campaign, the American people will have the opportunity to see which candidate is best positioned to accomplish that goal. Turkish President Erdogan is comparing the Greek authorities' alleged mistreatment of migrants at his border to, quote, what the Nazis did, end quote. Greece denies the accusation, and a spokesman dismissed Erdogan's comments as ramblings. And India's parliament is debating the violent clashes between Hindus and Muslims that have now killed more than 50 people. India's home minister said strict action would be taken against the perpetrators. Protests and riots broke out over a new immigration law, which sped up naturalization for most, but not for Muslims. That is the news update this hour. Kelly? Busy day on Wall Street, busy day outside, too. Boy, is it, Sue. Thank you, Sue Herrera. Coming up here, it's getting ugly for the retailers. Shares of Adidas are on track for their worst month since December of 2018. Macy's trading below $10. Nordstrom, Kohl's, Gap, all sharply lowered today by about 9%. We're going to see if all of this action is justified. Plus, with oil also down sharply as well, there are worries about bankruptcies in the oil patch. One of my next guests has some idea of how this might play out across the industry. He shares his insight ahead. Don't go anywhere. The exchange is back in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange. We have a news alert on the cruise line. Seema Modi with the details. Seema. Proposal from the cruise industry will include denying entry to travelers above the age of 70 unless they have written consent from a doctor. Also, travelers with a chronic medical condition will also be banned from getting on a ship. That's according to people familiar with the matter. We are seeing the shares of cruise line operators moving lower on this. Now, this is just a proposal that has been sent to the White House. We are awaiting a review of that proposal uh, sometime today. The head of the cruise lines International Association. Adam Goldstein, uh, said to be at the White House having those conversations now to see how they can update their health and safety measures uh, as the cruise lines really try to minimize the risk of infection. Kelly, we're looking at shares of Royal Caribbean now. Wow, down about 17%. Of course, the overall market is down, but this specific sector uh, really getting hit hard here. In fact, Seema, the fact that this came from the cruise line industry itself and it's hurting the stocks this much is pretty shocking. Norwegian was one of the names. All of these names I thought were down about 60% already this year. Does that mean we're now talking about 70% declines? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, about a 65 to 70% move year to date for wow. the major cruise lines. And of course, yesterday, S&P, the credit rating agency putting both Royal and Carnival on negative uh, watch. Royal and Norwegian uh, separately have been trying to uh, secure additional lines of credit 
uh, as they really try to, to get through this, what has been quickly become a, a crisis for the cruise lines, Kelly. Wow, look at that. Norwegian is 72% off of its uh, high just this year. I mean, and the rest are right on its heels. It's just amazing. All right, Seema, thanks. Seema Modi with that news flash. The retail stocks also not looking that pretty today. Nordstrom, Kohl's, and Gap among the biggest losers. Nordstrom and Kohl's now down 10%, and Macy's is below $10 a share. It's about 9.42 right now. This morning, Adidas reported results, and the company expects to take a billion-dollar hit to first-quarter sales due to the coronavirus. Here's what the CEO told our Sarah Eisen. But in the sporting goods industry, you're really at the end of the food chain. So that means, of course, people, when they start shopping again, will buy normal stuff, food, you know, drinks, uh, you know, detergents before they, you know, buy sporting goods. And it's not just sporting goods. Many retailers are not exactly at the top of the food chain. Joining me now is Brian Nagel. He's senior equity research analyst at Oppenheimer covering the retail sector. Brian, welcome. I mean, just today, these are these are pretty big declines. Is this all justifiable action as far as you're concerned? Well, look, it's hard to say. I mean, obviously, you know, my team and I are watching this very closely. And I would say right now, and this is really important, what we're not seeing, and again, it's fluid, so I'm watching this closely, but what we're not seeing is any indication of a broad base, within the United States, a broad-based consumer uh, confidence-driven pullback in spending. You know, I was talking to companies like Dick's Sporting Goods reported uh, results yesterday. You know, they commented on their, result, on their report, you know, they have not seen any indications. We had Urban Outfitters this morning talk about uh, sales weakness in Seattle, but really nowhere else. So again, it's, you know, it's, if there's any weakness in spending right now within the United States, it's been very, very isolated. We're not seeing any type of broader, broader pullback in spending. Yeah, and it's comforting in the sense that this doesn't feel so much like a business cycle, the end of a business cycle event, but it still is taking a toll and it's, compa- it's building on itself. So, you know, a couple of weeks, a month ago, people were kind of watching to see you know, how they should react. And today, People are going, you know what, they should just close school for the rest of the year. I'll keep my kid home. We'll do it remotely. I mean, that's just not a conducive environment for these retailers for months, right? So what do you do with the stocks? I mean, that makes it very difficult because if it is a passing event, that's one thing. But if if these companies run into some cash flow issues in the meantime, it, it could push them to the brink. Yeah, well, let me, I'll say a couple things. Uh, you know, with one, I think you know, a, a, a positive, again, we're trying to find positives here because it's obviously you know, a very it's a critical and ongoing situation. But, you know, one positive, too, is the consumer is really coming at this or entering this from a, a position of decided strength. Okay, the, the consumer's, consumer spending by any measure within the United States over the past, you know, several quarters now has been very solid. We've seen the recent jobs reports from the government, again, very solid. So the consumer... You know, again, heading into this crisis is coming from a position of strength. Now, what I've been telling our clients, uh, you know, is, again, we try to look for, you know, areas of opportunity here. You know, one, one, one theme I continue to hit on is interest rates have declined significantly. Okay, we've seen this huge decline in interest rates. To me, that is a big positive for na- names that are in the home sector, like Home Depot, Lowe's, to a lesser extent, William, William Sonoma. Sure. Uh, there's other names, you know, like a Nike, Nike, a Lululemon, benefiting from very, very strong demand growth. Stocks have been hit hard. You know, again, as we rebound, I think that's, those are the names that rebound the fastest. You know, and it was just the other day that Dick's Sporting Goods came out and had 5% U.S. comps. I mean, it was a pretty great number. Do you cover, also cover tractor supply? Uh, again, great tailwind story, except that now everything's kind of uh, thrown, in, thrown into disarray. So what should investors do? Should they try opportunistically to pick up some names here that might be unjustly sold off? And would those two be an example of that? Or is it just too soon to tell? 
Well, look, it's hard right now to call the bottom because this is such a sentiment-driven market. You know, I look at the valuations for my group, and they're, they're definitely lower than they were. And frankly, for retail and consumer, valuations relative to the market are at historic lows. Okay, but that only that just reflects much higher multiples afforded other spaces. But look, what I'm telling our clients right now, okay, you might not get the bottom, right? But these high-quality businesses, and I'm going to mention again Home Depot Lowe's, mm-hmm. Home Depot Lowe's in the home improvement space, Nike and Lululemon in the athleisure space, Again, you might not get the bottom, but to me, those are high-quality names that are on sale right now. And I, again, on my view, and you know, take it for what it's worth, because I'm not an expert at all in viruses, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that while this is bad and getting worse, probably it will pass. And it's and it, it, and not hopefully in the not too distant future, we'll be looking back and saying this was an opportunity. All right, Brian, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Brian Nagel of Oppenheimer. We've got another news alert on yes, the coronavirus. Let's get back to the desk for more. Kelly, thank you very much. Washington State and California both making news on this front. Uh, Washington State is banning certain types of gatherings that are bigger than 250 people. That, of course, is an effort to slow the spread of the coronavirus. In addition, the Washington State governor is asking all school districts to prepare for online uh, instruction and perhaps Uh, closures that will last longer than initially thought. We've been expecting some comments from him, but right now he is basically saying to school districts, get ready, we're going to close down some of those school districts, and uh, in addition to that, prepare for online instruction for your students. Now, California, specifically San Francisco's mayor, coming out just a few moments ago in a press release, basically saying San Francisco is issuing a moratorium on large gatherings of 1,000 people or more to slow the spread of COVID-19, otherwise known as the novel coronavirus. So we're starting to see more and more states um, become proactive in trying to limit the spread of the virus. Kelly, back to you. All right. Sue Herrera with the very latest there. Sue, we really appreciate it. want to show you the action in markets. We're at session lows once again here. Dow's now down. It briefly was just down more than 1,300 points for the first time today. That's a better than 5% drop. And yes, Boeing is a big piece of that, as we mentioned earlier. But even the S&P 500 is down 4.6%. So again, 5.2% drop for the Dow, 1,300-point uh, decline. And even the 10-year yield, which earlier, uh, in fact, when we started the hour, was around uh, 0.8%, down to about 0.73. So definitely a weaker tone here just in the last little bit. Uh, tech is one of the areas that's also getting hit today. We're going to talk to a trader after this quick break who says stick with it. He'll tell us why next. You can see those names all down 3-4%. The airlines also, it's right across the board. United Airlines, American, JetBlue, Delta, Southwest, all seeing declines now of up to 7% in JetBlue's case. We'll have much more on the other side of this break. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
Welcome back. There are major worries about bankruptcies across the oil patch, with the price of oil continuing to languish at multi-year lows. My next guest says for the average institutional investor, the sector is uninvestable right now. I'm joined by Shia Hosenzada. He's founder and managing partner of Onyx Point Global Management, a true expert in this space. It's great to have you here today. Thank you. you. Real quickly, the administration we've heard is maybe floating some um, low interest loans for the for the oil sector. Is that something that you would look for in terms of relief or real help in this crisis or no? Well, what you need to understand is that we are potentially at systemic risk. Uh, OPEC has launched a price war, and a price war by definition targets the weaker players and puts them out of business, and shale is pretty weak today. So when you think about what's happening in the sector, we've seen the carnage in the equity market, we've seen it in the high-yield market, but there is a ticking nuclear time bomb that's happening in the reserve-based lending market, and that's like the subprime of shale at $35. And I want to get into that in just a moment. But first, you know, a lot of our guests in the past week or so have said we're about 4 million barrels a day oversupplied in the global oil market now. And if Russia and Saudi hold out, they're going to they're going to push that capacity to come out of the U.S. I wonder if one of the reasons why the administration is floating this is not because they want to bail out oil and gas companies per se, but because they don't want to cede America's position as now the biggest oil exporter in the world or the biggest energy producer or, or to some extent being energy independent. Do you think there's a national security aspect of this? And, and does there need to be kind of federal uh, help in that sense? Well, Kelly, our foreign policy in large measure today is predicated on being energy independent. If you think about what we've done in terms of sanctions with Russia, sanctions with Venezuela, generally it's predicated on the fact that we're not a big consumer of imports and we can actually produce a large measure of what we consume. Now, if we were to relinquish that role, I think it would have really significant ramifications, not just for the economy, but from a foreign policy standpoint as well. All right. Well, let's dig into the financials here because you are a private equity guy and a lot of people want to know how we're going to manage through um, this period. One of the really interesting things you mentioned is the loans to the energy sector that are out there. So we talk about how energy is the biggest part of the high yield debt market. Put the bonds aside. You're saying the loans to energy companies are many times larger than that. Is that right? That's right. So this sector, for the better part of 30 years, has been funded by the bank community with very cheap financing, typically two to 300 basis points over LIBOR. And that market has mushroomed to about a $200 billion market. Put that in perspective, that's three times the size of the high-yield market. The total high-yield debt market? Uh, High-yield energy, not not total high-yield market. So I think it's important to understand that we're in a position now where the banks have lost money for five years straight. There's not a lot of fee revenue coming out of the energy sector. There's ESG considerations. And so a lot of those banks, we think, could be calling those loans in at precisely the worst time in the marketplace this year. So are we going to see a wave of bankruptcies? Are we talking about consolidation? And for private equity backers who want these companies for the cash flow, are they going to try to have them continue to pump oil, even if it's almost uneconomic, in order to just kind of get whatever they can? A couple of things to unpack in there. So if you think about it in terms of what it means for bankruptcies, we have a bankruptcy rate today of 12%, which is near pretty close to the peak of what it's been for the last 30 years. To some degree, we're starting already in the seventh inning of the game. Wow. Now, in terms of if this bank loan market continues to be, you know, deteriorate and becomes the second shooter drop, I think you could see bankruptcies in the 50 to 60% rate. And at that level, really, it's not so much about pumping more oil, it's about keeping the lights on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for, the, for all those companies, we, we got to go. But you think they would ever do tariffs? You said, that, look, they, they use tariffs as a tool for other kinds of imports. Why not for oil imports, too? I think if this continues to be as bad as it is, it becomes a national security problem. It becomes an economic problem. And we think you have to look at it the same way the industry looked at steel in 2000s. 
by uh, putting in anti-dumping measures. Interesting. Shia, thanks. A lot of uh, we'll see if we go, if we follow you know if, if we go down this road in terms of all those developments, but um, at least puts in perspective how serious it is. Shia Hosenzada, thank you for coming in. Thank you. Let's get back to the markets more broadly, which are in sell-off mode right now, and we're just off session lows. So let's dive a little bit deeper into it. Joining me now are Jeff Kilberg. He's the CEO of KKM Financial, fast money trader Steve Grasso from Stuart Frankel, and Nancy Tangler is chief investment officer of Laffer Tangler Investments. Welcome to all of you. Um, Steve, let me just start with you and, and what your thoughts are on today's trading action. So, so, Kelly, you know, when you look back, we saw 9-11. We saw other outbreaks. We've seen the financial crisis. Those were basically the first time we ever saw things like that before. But we have seen outbreaks of viruses, but the the reaction to this one is unprecedented. And I think that's why the market is caught off base here. And they're just waiting to see where the bottom is. I think we're close. And the only way to gauge that is when you see the sellers run out of gas. And I don't see the systemic selling really putting the pressure that I've seen in the last couple of days But around these levels, look for near-term support levels, and we'll see where the chips lie. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are calling for much lower levels in the S&P. And I guess we're going to have to see where this virus takes the overall market in the long run. Okay, Jeff, I know you're watching the VIX. What are you seeing in terms of that action? Well, it's really interesting, Kelly. I think Grasso brings up a great point. To underscore this market, we have so much emotion as traders and investors are trying to measure the actual risk, not the perceived risk, but the actual risk. So we look at the realized volatility. That's the actual move every day in the S&P 500. Right now, we're down about 5%. So that is a realized move. And the VIX is showing just under 50 in the VIX futures. If you look at what an actual move when you price it in VIX terms of 5%, that's closer to 80. So that's a substantial discount. So my point is, Kelly, is that there's so much emotion in the actual moves day to day, but the options market, which are typically and historically more correct than the actual emotion of the market, the options market are pricing the fact that this move, these day-to-day moves are over-exaggerated and will see it simmer down. But right now, it goes back to December 2018 when you saw that market, the S&P 500, break under the 200-day moving average, nearly 10%. Right now, we're under the 200-day moving average by 15%. So I think when you Align all the stars. This is an opportunity. This is a buying opportunity. You have to be careful. You don't have to go all in, but this is a welcome opportunity. Okay, Nancy, are you taking advantage uh, here of this market in, in that sense? Yeah, Kelly, thanks for having me. We are. We um, put a hedge on our portfolios in early February. Um, you know, Pyrrhic victory, but a victory nonetheless. And we just stepped in yesterday. We sold some of our winners on the long-only side. We sold some of our winners, um, you know, Walmart, PepsiCo, and we started adding to some more uh, growthier, cyclically exposed names, um, Salesforce.com, United Technologies. We picked up some J.P. Morgans and Goldman Sachs. We added to a new position in TJ Maxx, TJX. So I, we're not jumping in um, with both feet, but we are stepping gingerly into some of the higher quality names that we already own and then some new names as well. And Apple... And- Apple being one of those, Nancy, because I thought it was interesting what you said here, which is, you know, while while we're talking about oil companies cutting their dividends and yields plunging, you think that company, this could be right for a dividend hike. Yeah, uh, they should be. I mean, uh, w- this has been a storied stock for us. We've owned it since 2013. We were selling it into strength in uh, 2018. Uh, it, we all know we happened in the fourth quarter. We bought more. It, it felt early by the time we got to January of 2019. We bought some more. Both of those trades I'm very happy with. And then we started selling it again this year. So we've reduced our exposure by about 25%. Would I step back in 
Yes, but I need a little bit more to come out of the, the valuation. And then we think the company can, can pull a lot of levers, including raising the dividend. It's, it's the ecosystem that we're buying. Sure. All right, Steve, those, let, let me know. circle back to you then. As, we, you know, as, you, as you said, we kind of just obviously have to wait and see how things develop with, uh, with the coronavirus. So a couple of things on your dashboard. Do they include rates, you know, the dollar, future? What, what are you watching uh, for right. signs of capitulation here? So for us, when you look at rates, obviously, when you look at the 10-year, that's going to take a lot of people's fear gauge uh, in, and put it into perspective. But Jeff had mentioned that 2018 level. In the S&P, that was 2350. We're at 2750 right now. Ouch. So to make this actionable on a daily basis, 2734 in the S&P cash is where we bottomed in the last two days. Keep an eye on that. If we break through that, then it gets to be a precipitous fall. But there's plenty of people that are calling for that 2350 low. And the reason why they're calling for it is because that brings us from the high to that low 30% drawdown in the overall market. And that's where people want to step in. There's a lot of green between here and there. And I think you're going to see a lot of speed bumps and a lot of people like Nancy step up to the plate and start buying discounted names because everything is on sale. And I think ultimately look through the smoke. This is a buying opportunity. All right. Jeff, I know, too, you also like some of the big tech names, Apple, Microsoft, Intel. we got to leave it there, guys. Thank you all. We appreciate it. Jeff Kilberg, Steve Grasso, uh, Nancy Tangler. And stocks are selling off again. We're near session lows, down 1264, with the Trump administration scrambling to sort out a stimulus plan. My big idea on how to get the economy going is next. Welcome back. As the panic deepens over the coronavirus and the government drags its feet on a response, the economic toll is likely to grow. The Federal Reserve is on the verge of cutting interest rates to zero, and it's few good options left to support the economy if it continues to weaken. So here's my idea, a student loan TARP. We know most of the $1.7 trillion in student debt is simply never going to be paid back. I don't like that any more than you do, but it's not going to be paid back. So how about this? As I wrote in my newsletter today, you forgive up to $50,000 of everyone's student debt. That's almost a trillion dollars of stimulus. And you give a $50,000 tax credit back to those who have already paid off their loans. As you could imagine, I've gotten a huge response to this idea. Not always in a good way. Peter, I emailed me saying, what happens to other families that struggle to send their kids to college? He said, I postpone retirement and vacations. Tom M. writes, the problem is the outrageous cost of college. And I agree. The key and most important part of this plan is, in exchange for this bailout, you get the government out of the student loan business for good. Full stop. Going forward, each student in the country gets a $50,000 voucher from the government for college. It's not my plan. It's Wayne Johnson's plan. He left this administration after realizing the student loan system is fundamentally broken. So here's a chance to fix it. It's one of the only big bazookas left that could really help the U.S. economy. And if we're going to spend months working on a fiscal stimulus plan with who knows what will even end up in it, why not try to change the broken student loan system for good? It would have huge ripple effects on the economy. It could really hurt some colleges. But higher education in this country is broken because of the government's interference, and this is a chance to maybe set all of it right. Let me know your thoughts. That does it for The Exchange today. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.